Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever it is you are listening from. My name is Bev Chahonyo, and this is Beverly Speaks, my podcast. Today, I want to take a minute to just pause, reflect, and celebrate. It has been 172 days since I started this podcast. We are two seasons in, 22 episodes in, and we are in 42 countries. Wow. I could not have imagined how far-reaching the impact would be not just to all of you out there, but even to me, how it has changed my life. When I first started, I was afraid. I was afraid to put myself out there. I was afraid of what people would think, what people would say. I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of being vulnerable. And um, let's face it, uh, these streets that we call the social media, highways and byways, they can be quite brutal. But I have to say today how glad I am that I did it anyway. How glad I am that I put myself out there and bore myself uh, to you guys. How glad I am that in doing that, together we have created a safe space where people can come and tell their stories how in awe I am at the impact these stories are having on so many people out there. I love hearing from you and I pray for those of you who are still struggling to find healing that you will find it. And if we can, my guests and I, if we can in any way be a part of your healing just by, by telling our stories, then we will continue to do so. I read a quote that said, whenever you find yourself doubting how far you can go, just remember how far you have come. Remember everything you have faced, all the battles you have won, and all the fears you have overcome. That is an anonymous quote. And it is the perfect way for me to end my welcome to Beverly Speaks. For those who are new, welcome back. For those who are returning, it is the perfect way for me to introduce my guest for today. She's my friend. She's my sister from another mother, sister from another land. <laughs> uh, she is the mother of one of my former guests. Her name is Crystal Chigbu, and she runs the Irede Foundation. And her daughter, Beulah, was here episode three of season two, talking about uh, surviving amputation. She's a child amputee, Beulah is, and Crystal is her mother. And today she's here to talk about overcoming her own fears. She's here to tell us the same story from a mother's perspective. And she's here to encourage somebody. I want to challenge somebody out there who's listening to me and saying, I couldn't possibly do it. I can't possibly 
be expected to do it. This is for somebody else. It's too big for me. I want to challenge you to look back. I want to challenge you to dig deep into your core. And I want to challenge you to do it afraid. Remember the quote, whenever you find yourself doubting how far you can go, just remember how far you have come. Remember everything you have faced, all the battles you have won, and all the fears you have overcome. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give you Crystal Chigbu, my sister, my friend, and let her tell us her tale of overcoming fear and coming out on top, doing it afraid, but doing it anyway. Welcome, sis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Beverly. Uh, it's been a journey getting you to Beverly Speaks, but thank you so much for honoring this stage and this space with your story. I'm happy to be here. So yours is almost like a continuation. Uh, we heard Beulah's story and it touched our hearts. Uh, everybody who listened had something to say. What did you think of her interview? You know, Bev, I am so proud of her. Um, she did it all by herself, no intervention from anybody. But honestly, I just can see how far she's grown, how far she's come through this years. And honestly, all I can say is I'm just proud of her. I'm, I'm proud of the young uh, lady she's becoming. Um, you know, and really, I think one of the things that Beverly Speaks uh, also did was to help me get into her head and know some of the things that she's really thinking about. Um, so if she's listening, Beulah, I am proud of you. <laughs> we are both very proud of you, Beulah. <laughs> so describe her to me in your own words. Beulah is a strong, determined young girl, young lady, whatever she's growing up these days. Um, I say strong because I see her pull through so many things. Um, you know, I've seen Beulah learn to ride, ride a bicycle and that also is, you know, being determined um, just by coming back one day and saying, mommy, I want to learn to ride a bicycle. And I'm like, okay, let's give it a try. I've seen her learn to swim, dance ballet, do taekwondo and a couple of things. I've seen her, you know, stand up for not just herself and other people. Um, she's a fashionista. Viola mm -hmm. can dress up. She's just a girl. I mean, she's probably, <laughs> you know, because she's, she's just really a girl. And uh, recently she was telling me about, you know, what she wanted to wear for her graduation, how she wanted to dress up. And I felt, you know, you should be dressed in a, another way, but, you know, you can just see the beauty as she, she, she loves beauty. Um, she's a fighter. Beulah would um, give it a last breath uh, to um, actually, you know, achieve whatever it is she wants to achieve. She's caring. 
and she's also a giver. I've seen the giving side of her. I remember there was a time um, in her primary school uh, when she came back home one day and she was telling me why we needed to give to charity and give to the blind. And somewhere at the back of my mind, I'm like, Gila, you also have a disability, but you know, she, she doesn't see her own disability. Mm -hmm. She just really wants to make the world a better place. She tells me of how, you know, when I become the president or I become the governor, this is what I'm going to do. There'll be electricity, the world will be good and all of that. So, you know, she, she's a giver. She would give and she's so caring. Um, above all, she's just, she she, I, I think she also loves God. She, she tries to please God in everything that she does. But I would say she's strong, she's determined, she would give anything it takes, she will fight for it, and she's very yeah, caring. She is, she is. So take me through your pregnancy when you were carrying her. Um, I mean, pregnancy for Beulah, for me, I would say I waited. I waited six months. <laughs> and that's, you know, by the way, is a joke. Um, because I know people that have waited a lot of years, um, 10, 15 years um, in having mm -hmm. a baby. But, you know, because I married, I think, at the age of 29, going to 30, I'd already planned, because of the kind of person I am, strategy and all of that, I, I wanted to, um, you know, marry at the age of 29, have a baby at the age of 30, you know, bam, bam, bam had it all planned out but somehow you know I wasn't getting pregnant immediately but finally I got pregnant six months after and um, the pregnancy was good until I started bleeding um, you know about three months in the first trimester and we weren't sure whether you know the baby was alive or not but then uh, you know we saw the doctors and they said oh the baby is fine everything is fine just rest uh, for a few uh, days and after the rest trust me I, I, I became stronger um, I I think I'm really beautiful when I'm mm. pregnant and um, you know I, I I did my normal work I even had, was doing exercises I would go from place to place I I was very strong and pregnancy was you know I mean I, I, I gave birth right on my ED mm. so uh Pregnancy was fine, uh, no complications of any sort, no issues. Um, you know, I was just taking a walk one day and then my water broke and then, you know, I called my husband, he took me to the hospital and then the next day I had the mm. baby. So yeah, I think pregnancy was really mm. beautiful. Okay. And then you have had the baby and then we get to the point where, or you're having the baby. So you've gotten to the hospital. What happens next? Oh, when I got to the hospital, um, you know, um, it, it wasn't like I was dilating or anything. Uh, my water had broke. So pretty much from the afternoon when I got into the hospital on the 19th of May, I was, I, you know, I was in the hospital till the next day, which the 20th of May. And then sometime in the evening, you know, I was, um, I was induced because, you know, I wasn't, the the contractions were not progressing and all of that. So I was, I was induced. And um, not long after I was induced, I was wheeled to the theater, had the baby. Um, I didn't know anything had happened. You know, my husband came in, 
um, I was talking to the nurses. I wasn't very sure of what they were talking about. But somehow, um, you know, they were just trying to tell my husband that um, the whatever deformity had happened on the leg was not you know, as a result of them, was how the baby came out and all of that. But you know, nobody was really bothering. Zubi didn't even mention to me that there was any complication. He was just saying, eat, the journey ahead of you is far, rest well. And I thought all of this was just because, oh, now you have a baby, you need to uh, breastfeed the baby, so you need to eat for two and all of that. So, um, until my mom came and, um, you know, she exclaimed and I said, what was it? And, you know, the baby had a funny looking leg that's what I'll, I'll call it because the foot was turned to the back and so but we weren't really bothered because uh, expectation was oh we would see a doctor maybe a few clinical manipulations and the baby would be fine mm. so uh, until you know the doctor came in the specialist that came in to see her two days after and specialist said um you know there's a missing bone like missing bone from where to where how you know and then we just decided we should go to the national hospital um and get better diagnosis because you have more specialists there and you know we'll be able to get you know the right diagnosis compared to what we had been told um initially and then six days after tada they go yes uh two bones were missing the tibia and the patella and the best solution will be to amputate the leg and we waited two years and three months to make that decision okay. um at this point amputation i mean that's a big word this is your first child that's a huge word do you see clarification just the point where now it has been confirmed um I mean, like I said, it took us two yeah. years and three months to make that decision. So it was two years and three months of research, two years, three months of seeking counsel, two years, three months of, you know, going from one prayer house to the other, two years, three months of seeing different doctors, um, you know, just going from place to place, trying to get the best solution possible, um, you know, without amputating the leg. Okay. And um, we, you know, we just kept going on and on for research. There was a time, by the way, um, you know, that we had said, okay, we'll go ahead with the amputation. And then the doctors went on strike and said, hey, that's a sign from God that that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Then another time, you know, we we were going to go in for the surgery. Then Bula's file got missing. Another sign from God, right? So, um, you know, that entire process took two years and three months before we finally decided to go in for the surgery. And through these first seven days of her life and then through the that final diagnosis, what's going through your mind? Um, you know, somehow, you know, in the first seven days, the I wasn't really worried because we had a couple of doctor friends coming around and saying, no, don't worry, we'll do research, we'll, we'll get the right things to do, no, don't worry, it's not a big deal, let's check. As a matter of fact, a lot of people thought it was clubfoot. Mm. Uh, clubfoot is a limb deformity, usually where the 
uh, foot will be turned to the back. Um, and so with manipulations, you know, clinical manipulations and uh, a bit of cast on it, usually sometimes uh, if it's really complex uh, with surgeries, the foot will be, you know, turned in the right direction and the baby will be fine. So a lot of people initially, before we went to the orthopedic, National Orthopedic Hospital mm. thought it was a club foot issue because the foot was turned to the back. Mm. And um, so, you know, pretty much, you know, when you think there's a solution in sight, even though you're in pain, you just tell yourself, you know, um, it's like malaria. You have malaria. Once I take malaria tablets, I'll be fine. You, you don't get worried, right? Yeah. Until you now see that, okay, this is a little bit more than the regular kind of malaria. Mm. and it's cerebral and then you know you start getting worried mm. so it was after the diagnosis of amputation or the solution of amputation that i honestly started getting very worried and crying and asking questions why me what happened you know and all of that mm. so yeah so was there a time was there ever a time when you felt guilt not saying that you carried the guilt in terms of you had done anything wrong, but sometimes in these situations, we might tend to ask ourselves questions as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I felt, felt guilty or guilt in any way. I think more my questions were or my pain was directed towards God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a person of faith, so pretty much you know you just really feel like bad things shouldn't happen to you because uh, somehow you just have the right for bad things not to happen mm. um so my questions really were god what did i do wrong i i did almost everything right you know i i married a little late i i didn't offend anybody i took my vitamins you know pretty much like i did everything i was supposed to do mm. uh you know humanly possible right so instead of feeling the guilt of maybe I did something wrong, it was more, God, why did you forsake me? Mm. Why? You know, all my whys and my questioning was more towards God. And then, um, you know, pretty much that. So it, it was more directed to the supreme being mm. than, you know, me really feeling there was something I could have done wrong. Because at this point, Again, my kind of person, I've done a lot of research and everything. And, you know, science is, you know, there's really nothing to account for why this happens. It happens to one in uh, a million uh, people. And I'm like, why am I the one in the one million? Mm. Why is it not somebody else? Why me? Mm. And, you know, so from my own angle, I felt like I'd covered everything and Mm. I have not done anything wrong. So I shouldn't be guilty, right? Right. And so it was God that was guilty something like that okay and through all this you're going through this emotional roller coaster um but this little beautiful little child is a hundred percent dependent on you yeah so um you know sometimes i'll be breastfeeding and i will start crying and my mother will tell me no stop crying you don't cry on a little baby and so i hold myself together and feed her drop her look at how beautiful she is and then go in and cry again because you know i just look at her I'm like she's so pretty but you know but there's a but mm. and then i'll just go somewhere and i will cry and weep and wail and pray and you know so that's okay. how really 
I I managed I, I managed that process and that time and sometimes you know I would look at my husband and I would say what did we ever do wrong and what was his what did we do wrong? what was his reaction this entire time from the time he told you and through the process um I think um, he just first you know he went into trying to find a solution like an alpha male just you know <laughs> looking for solutions and strategy and you know research and doing all of that Mm. But um, giving it to him also in that period, I know he really sucks the face of God and prayed and asked questions. Because interestingly, Beulah's name, so when I was pregnant for Beulah, we had a name that we wanted to give the baby that we we're going to have. Mm. And somehow we thought the baby was going to be a boy. Mm-hmm. Then one day he just came out of the bathroom and he said, you know, this is what the baby's name is going to be because the baby is a girl. And I said, how did you know the baby is a girl? I said, no, this is the name God gave me. So I know it's a girl. Mm. And so in my mind, I'm like, really, please, 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 just leave <laughs> it. So <laughs> like, just like that, I have all these symptoms, all these things. I really think it's a boy. Mm. So we, we, he came back and he told me and he said, you know, God said he's going to take care of Beulah. And when he came back with, with that, you know, very assured word, while I believed it, you understand, you, you know, you believe it, but God is going to take care of her. But we defined what God's taking care of her would be. Yeah. It meant, you know, maybe you just wake up one day and the leg is come out. Mm-hmm. You just wake up one day and, you know, there's a miracle. Mm-hmm. And and so at some point, um, you know, for the period of two years and I would say three months, it was really a time of, you know, feeding, eating, reading the word of God, getting an assurance that this baby is going to be fine. Mm. And it wasn't, you know, dependent on us in any way. Yeah. And, you know, by this time, you know, my perspective and I think his perspective also started changing. Mm. We had not done the amputation, but our perspective started changing. We were sure that God was able to take care of our, um, we were doing research. We were still looking forward to, you know, different options of what was possible. Mm. Um, you know, why we just this time around prayed and asked God to just show us what to do. Mm. how to handle the situation yeah and but of how, course you know how do you get the believing answer for a miracle. um i don't know if i ever got the answer i don't know if i've gotten the answer <laughs> or <laughs> maybe i'll just you know um but I, I i know what happened at some point um was you know my husband's like um, i think you should travel and travel to to the u.s let's get better diagnosis and this was after you know we had gone to a couple of prayer houses because again you know we're people of faith Mm -hmm. so you know we would pray and believe god and all that we heard was you know god was going to take care of her and then once uh, one of my friends you know i went i was talking to him and i was like you know i i just came back from this place and i was looking forward to a miracle and then he said what if the miracle that you're looking for is the miracle of medical science what if God answered you long before you even started praying and all you needed was medical science? So, you know, all of these um, conversations that were happening around us, because, I mean, the Bible says that many are the counsel of a man's heart, but God's counsel, that alone will stand. Mm. And, you know, there is, in, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. Mm. So we, we started put her in school and we're just believing and then when i went to the u.s and then you know after seeing the doctors again and the diagnosis was 
leading to amputation. My husband just said, you know what? Um, I think you should come back and let's go ahead and do, um, you know, the amputation. And then we prayed, we trusted God. And, you know, the process for her amputation, the amputation of the leg was really seamless. Mm. Um, one of the things that happened was, you know, 10 days after the amputation happened, um, the stump had healed perfectly. Wow. Which in itself is a miracle because they had given us, oh, like a month, you come back for this, come back for that. So the process that they had planned would happen, say, in six months, um, from the point where the limb was amputated to her getting a prosthesis and working with it was less than two months. Mm. And we know that that is a miracle. Yeah. And I mean, from, from what I do every day today with other children, working with other child amputees, I know that that is a miracle. Mm. So, um, and and really that's that that's that's the Bula story and how <laughs> how we got to the point where we, we we made the decision to go for the amputation. Yeah. Okay. And so now tell me, so Bula mentioned something when I interviewed her. She said my mom was in the waiting room. That season of waiting, I mean you talked about a season of waiting that was six months, but that that few hours in the waiting room i remember you guys calling me and telling me you were gonna do it i remember you guys calling me from the waiting room and we prayed tell me about that wait it was really i mean i i had a couple of friends um a couple of my friends were around but i just sat down and just stared you know from the moment she went in and I, I would just wait. Um, interestingly, my you know my husband was in with her for a bit, and when they were about to start the surgery, they asked him to leave, and then you know he came out. But it wasn't a time when we were sitting together or anything. It was more, you know, each person, you know, just on their own. Really, I don't know what was going through his head, mm. but I know his DP status was dark clouds. But for me, I was just like, you mean this girl is going to go in and come out without a leg, mm. you know, and it was just a lot of pain mm. and i just sat there and looked to god and really one of the things i told god is i trust you to keep your word i didn't know what that word you know was apart from i'm going to take care of her yeah i didn't know what the future held i just knew that she was going to be taken care of mm. um and that 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 was it it was really a time of pain it was a time of deep reflections mm. Uh, but again, you know, the time to really search my heart to, you know, really trust God. Yeah. But, you know, above all of the going in and coming out, I was also, you know, praying and trusting God that she would come out alive. Mm. Uh, because I've seen people go into surgery and not come out alive. Yeah. So my focus mainly was not even on the limb alone, mm. but on, you know, having my precious baby coming out of the theater alive yeah so yeah that's, that really was was another thing that was going through my mind as the surgery was going on okay um i want to skip a bit and then i'll come back to Beulah's story take me through now your next pregnancy with eden um eden 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 okay so the, the the first thing is after after you know all of this uh, after giving birth to beulah i really didn't want to have another baby hmm. i was afraid 
you know, that same thing was going to happen to, you know, another baby that I would have. And so I just didn't want to get pregnant. Yeah. And then um, I got pregnant and I started bleeding. I went to the hospital and I was given a diagnosis of missed abortion. And very quickly, I went in for the evacuation just to get the baby out. And really in my head, it was, I didn't want a repeat occurrence mm. of what had happened with Eula. Mm. And, and so at some point, um, if I remember correctly, I think it was October of 2010. Mm. You know, I went back to my husband and I said, you know, I really want to have a baby now. And he asked me and he said, are you ready to have a baby? I said, I think I want to have a baby. And he said, you have a baby. And I said, okay. And honestly, you know, this was like, again, Beverly, you know, you know the way it is with Zubi and I, right? So yeah. it was just a chat. It wasn't yeah. like it was a thing of, um, okay, because you want to have sex, that's why you are saying, um, I want to have a baby. It was just a conversation of, I wanted to have a baby. Right. And so I got pregnant that same month. Wow. And um, then I started bleeding again. This time around, I had moved to Lagos uh, from Enugu. And Zubi was still in Enugu with Beulah. So I had moved to Lagos. And, you know, I started bleeding. And then I went to the to run a scan. And I was told again, given the diagnosis of missed abortion. Mm. And so I called Zubi and I said, Zubi, what do I do? And he said, you know what? Go for the evacuation because... I mean, we don't want to have a repeat occurrence. We know already the pain we're going through with Beulah. Mm. Um, I also spoke with my pastor um, that same, um, just after I spoke with Zubi, you know, driving to to the hospital to go and get the evacuation done. Mm. And then I spoke with my pastor and my pastor's wife. And my pastor's wife said, let me pray with you. And she prayed with me. Mm. And she said, go to the hospital and, you know, go and do the needful, like go to the hospital and just see a doctor. Mm. So I got to the hospital and the doctor I met said, I said, I want to see a gynecologist. I saw the gynecologist. And when I sat there, I just told him, I want to do an evacuation. And he said, what, what what's that? I said, I want to do an evacuation. He said, um, are you married? I said, yes. Do you, have you had a baby before? I said, yes. He said, so don't you want to have another baby? I said, I want to. And then I brought out the scan result and I showed him. And he said, you did this scan in a respectable laboratory. And honestly, I should just take it the way it is. And I want to believe that it was God, you know, that must have intervened and, mm. you know, spoke to him. And he said, um, but I'm going to run my own scan. And then he ran his scan and said, there's nothing wrong with this baby. Wow. And I said, no, but this doctor here told me this. And, you know, you just confirmed that he's a very good doctor. Then I went on ahead and told him the history of Beulah. Mm. And then he said, okay, not a problem. I see a healthy baby. Um, but I'm going to refer you. Go somewhere else, anywhere of your choice. I'm going to redo this scan tomorrow morning. Mm. And so I went to the same place and uh, another place and did a scan and I said, oh, this baby is fine. Look at the heartbeat. This is jumping and all of that. And I'm like, okay, really? And so I went back to see the gynecologist and he said, I think you should just take a bed rest of three, four days and you're just going to be fine. 
And really, after the third day, the bleeding ceased. Today, Eden is nine years old. Yes, he is. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, however, what happened was with this, with Eden's pregnancy, I mean, I I did a lot of scan. I would ask the person doing this, can I say, can you check that the fingers are complete? Can you check that the leg is okay? Can you check that the hand is there? You know. Uh, because now, you know, I was a bit more aware and especially with Eula's condition, I was just, you know, very deliberate uh, mm-hmm. in ensuring that I did my own beat, you know, um, and I really prayed that, you know, God will help preserve and keep and this baby will be fine and all of that. Mm-hmm. So when I was going to have Eden and I had a bit of, uh, you know, prolonged labor, Mm. I decided, I just opted for CS because I was just like, no, nothing should go wrong um, this time around. So, mm. yeah. So that, that's what the journey was with, um, you know, eventually having um, Eden. Yeah. And of course, um, I don't think I've had the confidence again to, you know, say, I want to go in and have another baby <laughs> because I just think I'm done with the two. Yeah. But you mother so many other kids. You, some of them live yes. in your house. Some of them have lived in your house and left, and then they're the ones, oh, you know, your child amputees who you work with, uh, and just kind absolutely. of transform lives. So, I think everyone's path is different, and it's not to say that you should or should not have another baby, but you are walking in your truth and you're living your assignment here on earth. Yeah. All right. So I want to now address a different aspect of you as a woman. You wear so many hats. I keep saying it. You wear so many hats. I don't know what time you sleep. Yes, I do. You just, um, you amaze me and I totally, totally respect you. So you were at the bar. (laughs) Antipa. Yes, that's my name. (laughs) Um, At the time you were um, working full time, corporate job huge job very demanding uh and now you run uh irede how did you make the decision to leave and how did you make that how was that transition um honestly um you know and i think up till now i loved um working in the company i worked with and especially the job i did caught selling i really liked i really really liked my job i really love my job uh, you did you had yeah, fun then. in that company. but um after <laughs> yes i did and then after um the second year of starting e-ready or going into yeah the second year i just knew that there was so much more um i didn't know what the more was but i knew that you know it, it wasn't enough just to spend two to three hours um on e-ready on a daily basis because what happened then was i had someone that was managing the organization while i continued doing my work uh, and then in the evenings i'll spend a bit of time do some work early mornings do some work and then you know the person will run the operations of the organization um i i just had an unrest i just knew that i had to do something a little bit more also, what had happened at that time was I had more speaking engagements. I had, um, I was taking a lot of time off work. So this week I was like, oh, please can I just get one day off or two days off? I need to go and speak at so-so place. 
then at some point i i had to travel for a week to the un um and i just knew that it was time i had peace within me i started discussing it with my manager and i also started discussing it with my husband uh at that time and then my my husband encouraged me and told me you know that, but i needed to have a plan in place because you know the job i was in at that time was really very demanding and also i'm an activity oriented person so i i lo- love work <laughs> so i honestly um, needed to be sure that it really was going to be a full plate so the first thing i did as i left um working for proxon gamble then was to then um you know go to school spend some time understanding what social um enterprise what social work was and how mm. to manage a not for profit and then when i was done came back and then just you know started the operations of of um irede foundation uh took over you know the coordination and and you know we increased number of staff because by this time we had more children that we needed to work with and then we were beginning to have more parents and so i i just knew it was time and yeah that's how i transitioned uh you know into into leading um you know the organization okay. as the executive and director and what's been the hardest part of your journey so far uh working at um, the foundation both i guess it's two questions in one uh the hardest oh. part of your journey as a mom and having to make some certain tough decisions but then yes working at the foundation or transitioning from corporate to uh, the ngo world um i i think first as a mom uh what the other part you know um i think it, it, it's the changing nature of children as they grow older um i mean like you rightly said apart from bula and eden i've um been a mother to a couple of children um so as they grow older and they get into that point where they really need to make decisions and as the you know we have a changing world i honestly um fear that I, you know i'm doing the right thing with raising them but of course um what then happens is i start seeing especially those that have grown or have become adults now and have left the house and i see that they are living mm. they're really making me proud and making themselves uh, proud and so I'm like okay mm. it wasn't really as bad um, as I thought um, you know it would be or it was and then you know managing irede i think it for me the hardest part is seeing everyday child needing a leg and you know not having the funds or a hand and not having mm. the funds to handle it it puts me under pressure it, it makes me unhappy it makes me want to work more do Uh, because what it just tells me is okay you probably need to tell the story a little bit differently you probably have to uh put it out there a little bit more you need to do more um however when i think of the transitioning from corporate to not for profit one of the things that i would say um and that you know is really happening in today's world is charity is mm-hmm. no longer a world of charity it's it's impact and it's and when you think of it um i'd rather think of irede as a business Mm-hmm. Uh, than just a not for profit so putting policies and the right system and structure in place just like any for profit business will do is the same thing that you know today we do at the Rede Foundation so I'd say 
um, I think it's it's more work because now I you know you lead you're responsible for people and you're responsible mm. for results. So I think I, I work probably two times more than when I worked okay. in the corporate. Sector. So um, let me ask you this question: You bring hope to children who would otherwise remain hopeless in a time and place where physical disability is not given the priority it should be given are you currently playing any role in advising policy on this issue interesting um so after when we set out to do it really it wasn't about policies it wasn't about um you know, behavioral change or creating awareness or anything. It was just, oh, we wanted to provide prosthetic limbs. But very quickly, um, you know, as we provided limbs for the children, we realized that giving limbs alone was not enough. Um, so right now, um, like sometimes two years ago now, um, you know, we started doing a bit of advocacy, leading into policies and having consortiums where we're working with organizations to do rights of persons with disabilities. So I would say, yes, uh, we started some work. Um, it's still in the very early stage, you know, different from providing limbs for it's something that we are actively going into and driving to create um, change. Looking yeah. back 20 years from uh, ago, <laughs> would you have seen yourself in a situation like this, in a position like this or in or doing anything like this? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 um, absolutely no, I wouldn't have, um, however, uh, my friends uh, from my secondary school 25 years ago uh, feel like, yes, they always, so most of them see me today and they say, oh, we're not surprised you're doing what you're doing because you've always uh, been there for people and you've always looked out for people, but I wouldn't have thought, uh, you know, that I would do this. But somehow I, I think God, God kind of like prepared me for it. Things that come to me naturally, um, I never knew that everything was a part of the plan to execute the Irede Foundation or, or do social impact or social good at the end of the day. But uh, from where I sat, <laughs> no, Beverly, no. Mom. Okay. <laughs> so do you consider yourself strong? No. Why not? No, I don't. Um, I cry a lot. I cry a lot. I cry a lot. Um, and when I see people like Beulah, I know I can be stronger. I've seen a lot of people that have exhibited strength in, in different things. Um, so yeah, most times I don't see myself as strong. Um, I see myself as vulnerable. I see myself as you know, just, I, I can make do with a little bit more strength and courage. So from the outside so, yeah. looking in, and I've known you, you know, 10 years and <laughs> and counting. From the outside looking in, uh, I would say that you are very strong. I would say that tears are not a sign wow. of weakness. And being able to be vulnerable is not a sign of weakness it is in doing that that you display your greatest strengths because you don't just cry you don't just you don't just cry you don't just you're not just vulnerable what you do after when you get up 
is what p- portrays your strength the fact that you fight for other people the fight the fact that you put yourself in situations even when you're afraid the fact that you decided to read up and go to school and equip yourself and study to show yourself approved i consider you strong thank you <laughs> okay thank you. um so let's talk, let's talk about a little bit about irede how many children have you helped since the inception of irede Um you know interestingly um yesterday we were doing no two days ago actually um we were doing a review and i saw that we had done 170 limbs we were on the 170th limb uh because actually there was a campaign that was saying you know we're saying people should support us so we can achieve the 170th limb and just like you said wow i said wow i was shocked <laughs> because beginning of the year we had only done 136 mm. limbs and you know i honestly didn't think we had done that much but of course um someone had asked me immediately and the person said oh how does this make you feel i said there's there's so mm. much more to do there's so much so much more to do so many more limbs to be that we can give so many more mm. lives that we can touch um so yes 170 limbs uh okay but we're just starting so if i were to put we're something into perspective 170 limbs is 170 individuals but that's 170 families that's 170 family units that's 170 generations that you have touched So thank you. It's not it is not a small thing. I remember you starting and your hof- your office was in the house. I remember you starting and pushing the the annual walks and yeah. the branding and you're a perfectionist and you work through the night and during the day you're giving of yourself to your family and everybody else who needs you. So I would tell you and this is also because I know you take the time to celebrate the impact that you've had on people celebrate yourself and celebrate them because those are 170 lives that you've changed but 170 generations that you've impacted thank you <laughs> okay thank you. i've watched you push Bula beyond what she thought she was capable of beyond what she thought were her physical limits and sometimes it is tough love mm. is it ever does it ever get easy to give yeah. tough love I'm no bev no uh I remind myself of the fact that Bula is not going to be with me uh forever Like right now she's going to be going to the boarding house and um even if you know we pamper and shield her the world out there will not so um I know that our limitations are in our minds and so if we can push just a little bit more uh we will you know we will reach limits mm. that we do not mm. know is possible. Of course, while doing that, um we're careful to note and ask ourselves and I'm saying we um because it's not just myself, mm. Zubi also does the same thing. We want to know 
um, you know, when she should be taking a break and when we should, mm. you know, push her a little bit more again. And and so, and it's not just even for Beulah. I think every parent should do it for their child uh, because it's it's not a function of disabilities alone. If, you know, as human beings, if no one is pushing, if you're not pushing uh, beyond your normal limits, mm. you're likely not to grow. Um, I don't even <laughs> think we've pushed her enough. I think we can still help her uh, do a little bit more. So going to the body yeah. house again is another push. It's an extra push to see how she navigates uh, through it. But more importantly, to help I have her to tell grow. you this: that's the second time you've mentioned this in this past five minutes, and my heart is not ready. I mean, I'm so not ready for Bula to be in a boarding house. But you know what? When I visit her, I will be strong. You've prepared me. <laughs> um, and how do yeah. you balance between uh, Eden and Bula, and make sure that Eden also feels special? That not that all of the attention is going to Bula. Um, I don't think Bula gets attention. Um, sometimes she feels like, you know, um, she doesn't want to be the first child because she just feels like she's, she's like the scapegoat. She, we get to learn with her, uh, you know, but like I say, every child is unique and different. Um, Eden's uniqueness is the fact that he's also the last mm-hmm. child. Um, and you know, so he's treated, um, you know, as as a child, but everyone has their chores, and Bev, you know this. They all have their chores. They have their different, uh, and I think everyone is yeah. special in their own different way. Uh, one of the things that uh, Beulah has gotten above, of, you know, ahead of Eden, is media publicity, and it's just mm-hmm. again as a result of we reading. Uh, but what we try to do with Eden is to let him realize um, that he's not lesser than Eden in uh, Beulah in any way. And so when the opportunity comes and he also can get a media publicity, uh, we definitely help him to be there. In fact, I think sometimes last year we actually took Beulah, yes, we did, away from the media. Uh, She wasn't having any media appearances. And I think uh, being Mm. on Beverly Speaks is the first appearance she would have um, after about nine months. And this is because we just want her to have a regular life and live a normal life and yeah. and, and just be yeah. Bula and be a child. Uh, so for me, I think, you know, they have their their different moments. They 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 are just children. And honestly, um, do, do I think Eden feels like Bula gets preferential treatment? I don't think so. Bula actually thinks she she gives more or you know, because again, when Eden does anything wrong, Bula gets thanked <laughs> for it. Uh, because she's the elder sister and she's supposed to show him or lead him and show mm. him examples. So she, she takes ownership sometimes uh, for mm. some things that he does wrong. So I, I, I think, you know, we just try to balance um, okay. in, in that. And way. how do you, before I even ask the question, how many hats do you wear? You are at Irede. You are a wife and a mother. Hmm. And those are two distinct roles. Let me not roll them into yes. this. You're a wife. You are a mother. 
uh, you have written a book. So you're a published author, and yes. I believe you're writing another one, two books. Two books, actually. Okay. And then, yes, and I'm, I'm on the All right, third tell us the names now. of the books. Um, so I wrote the book, Irede. Irede, the unending story of hope, uh, which basically is a memoir. My memoir, you know, talking about the story and all. Um, then I wrote Adversity Beatdown, uh, basically a step-by-step process on, you know, how to go through pain and, you know, come out, um, you know, victorious. Um, I'm working on two books. One is on parenting children with special needs and the second one is for the not-for-profit space, uh, putting my experiences and things that I've learned together uh, to be able to help organizations that are just starting off and even those that have, you know, started off to to show them how to balance out um, life and, you know, be able to make your not-for-profit uh, a global organization versus just being a local NGO, okay. as the case may be. So those, those are and then you have a show you're a host of your show the hope grill okay yes and then you are now dabbling also or going back also into consultancy (laughs) yes you are an advocate and you're informing (laughs) policy so basically (laughs) honestly um one of the things that I've learned with the very many roles, um, so you would say, and you're you're absolutely right, Beverly. Um, so I just started an organization called uh, the Social Good Company, um, which basically sits the consulting and stuff. Hope Grill, Hope Grill actually is more than a show. It's also um, where I coach and do therapy. Um, and apart from being just a wife, mother, I also have siblings, and I I try to be. A good sister to them and all and you know mm. and i have my parents um so my mom-in-law and my mom um basically what i've learned is you know it's juggling the balls and realizing how to prioritize and you know i know that sometimes some of this will suffer some of the roles will suffer but very quickly picking them up and seeing how to balance them out I've also learned to put structure in place, especially at work. I have people that work with me, so I can't take the credit for ensuring that, you know, everything works out perfectly. I have a team, a formidable team with a ready team, the Hope Girl team, the Social Good Company team that literally, um, you know, have my back when I'm not there. Um, and then even at home, learning to put structure, understanding what my support system should be and focusing on them, you know, being there for me when I can't be there uh, by myself. A very big support system is my husband. It's interesting how, you know, busy he gets also, but we are able to manage, for instance, um, if he is traveling, I'm not traveling. If I'm traveling, he's not traveling. And when we both have to travel and it's uh, something, then we quickly go to the grandmas and the mm. aunties to be of help while, when we, we can't handle it. So I'll say, your, you know, understanding your support system, be it at work or at home, um, is one thing that has really worked as yeah. we juggle all the different balls. Okay. Message to 
mothers of children living with disabilities? Hmm. <laughs> Dear mother of a child amputee <laughs> or a mother with a child with disability, the first thing that I would like to tell you is it's not your fault. Um, it's not your fault that your child has a disability. So quit thinking that it's your fault and start living on the path to help the child be the best that they can be. The second thing that I would say is disability is just a mind game. And children can achieve anything, anything they are focused on achieving, or you're just a path to helping them achieve it. Thirdly, and I think Beverly, you mentioned this somehow, is you know, and you mentioned it when you were talking about, you know, enjoying and you know, loving on yourself as you know what we've achieved at the radio so far. But it's also my message out there to mother saying, learn to love on yourself, learn to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of that child. So it's important for you to apply, you know, what people call self-love today, um, love on yourself, take time to unwind, um, take time to know your source. And that's, you know, is the final thing that I'm going to talk about. Without sounding cliche, um, again, my faith has really helped me all of through this. You need to know who your source is and what your source is and always go back to it to get strength. Mine is Jesus, so I keep going back. I have a lot of questions, um, questions with respect to work, questions with respect to family, questions with respect to Beulah. And so when, when I don't have those answers, all I do is go back to the source, go back to God and say, God, what are you saying? about this well, what's the situation and really i always get help available um it might not be you know the answer that i want to get or the way i want it you know to be said but i have clarity mm. and clarity only comes from the source mm. um, okay. so yeah i think um that's enough for the parents <laughs> and for a yeah. child living with a disability Oh my God, you're beautiful, irrespective of the disability. Um, and I think maybe the best way for me to talk to that child is talk to Beulah. Or the way I talk to Beulah, you're so beautiful, it's unbelievable. And if you can only look inward and see your beauty, you will know that nothing can stop you. You don't need any validation from anybody to tell you what you can and cannot do you just need to think it and then you can be it disability is not an excuse for failure so make sure that you give it everything you can and succeed at it and prove to everyone that nothing can hold you back and guess what it's okay it's okay not to go at the same pace everybody is going because we will all get there and we'll get there at different times and it's not a function of disability it's just the way life has presented and finally it's okay not to have all the answers it's okay just run your own yeah. race um and i trust that that child with that disability will be the best that it can be okay i 
before I sign out, I want to say thank you to you for everything you do, for all the people you do it for. I have watched you run yourself literally into fatigue and I'm glad that you're taking more time to pay attention to you and should take care of you. Um, but just thank you for the selfless nature of just who you are. You don't do it because you want attention. You don't do it because it's about you. You do it keeping always keeping the other person in mind and you do that selflessly in every area of your life. So I want to say thank you for that. I've watched you give selflessly for Thank your you, kids and for, for Zubi and for Irede and for your mom and for everybody around you. And secondly, I just want to say also, there is a very important role you're playing. And 10, 20, 40, 80 years down the road, I pray that the impact that you have made will be felt and will resonate across nations, across continents, globally because what you're doing is a very important thing it's a very important thing culturally uh, traditionally in africa we don't talk about disabilities they are taboo they somebody must have done something in your lineage your village people must be after you but you're bringing awareness and educating people and bringing information that is very relevant and very needed through all the different platforms so again also thank you for that and thank you very much for doing this also <laughs> um, thank you. I enjoy it you know that how can you be reached um, I think right now the best way to reach me my social media handles um, uh, Crystal Chibu on Facebook Crystal Chibu on LinkedIn Crystal Chibu on YouTube and um, I think same way um, on Twitter and link uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, it's X R Y S T A L C. But trust me, if you only would even reach out to the Irede Foundation at the Irede Foundation, you will get across to okay. me. Um, yeah. Alrighty. So. I said this last week when I was talking to mom and I'm going to say this to you as well. They're very, they're specific people in my life. We can talk for hours. Sumbo, we can talk for hours, Crystal, you and I, and we are almost at the one hour mark. <laughs> so I want you to sign us. Up. Oh, really? No, we just started talking. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> um, I want you to sign us off. I want you to tell us your name. Um, and that you are a survivor. Uh, you are an overcomer, really. And that you are enough. I want you to sign us off from the show today. Uh, even as I say again, thank you so much for who you are, what you do, the space you're occupying in this generation and for the next generation. Thank you, Beverly. My name is Crystal Chibu and I'm a survivor. I'm an overcomer. And I am happy that's what you do Beverly <laughs> please don't stop thank you don't stop. I won't stop <laughs> all right so until next time ladies and gentlemen that is my sister my friend my prayer warrior covenant sister Crystal Chikpu all the way from Lagos Nigeria signing us off and we will see you next week with another story of hope and inspiration